0: Hi, I'm Kevin Kittle, and this is The Cinema Files. Actor, writer, and now director, Jason Hall, was in Phoenix last week promoting his upcoming film, Thank You for Your Service. While here, I, along with a few other journalists, had the opportunity to sit down and chat about his process as a screenwriter, why he felt the importance of making this film, and his particular attention to detail as a director. So you started off in acting, and you've made the transition to screenwriting, and now
1: you've made the transition into directing. Would you say it's been a very natural transition for you?
0: Uh, Yeah, I think they all kind of happened organically. It was, uh, it wasn't, there wasn't a a real plan there. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to make films, and uh, started out in the most immature form of doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, No, I, uh, I, I tried to go to film school early on, and... And was certain I wanted to make films, so uh, you know I just kept kicking down doors until somebody let me do it. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of have a similar question because in your in your Twitter bio it says aspiring difference maker. Yeah. So how do you did you realize that making the transition from acting to directing and writing um, would help you would help you make that difference in movies? Um, I, I think once you start writing, you kind of take authorship of, of what you're going to say as an actor, you, you are interpreting someone else's, someone else's message, someone else's story. And I think as a writer, you start to develop that. So I would say it was more as, as a writer that I, I started to figure out that I could, I could tell a story and, and kind of articulate some, some meaning or opinion through that story, um. Uh, not not as much as an actor, but I but I found that you know as a as the author of of scripts that I could was able to do that and uh, and that became more interesting. Obviously, you're also trying to you're also trying to make a living, so you're you're doing what you can at, at whatever point you know you're at, and uh, at a certain point you're just trying to scramble just to get a job. But uh, I've been lucky enough to you know have been able to get a couple jobs where I can say something. I'm oh, always interested in the path that a story takes getting to be made.
1: Yeah. So how, how did this one come about from the book to the script to the
0: directing? Uh, it came about through uh, Steven Spielberg was going to direct Sniper. And so I was working on the script of Sniper with him uh, with his intent to start it like late that fall. Mm-hmm. And this was uh, this was a couple months after Chris's death in, in uh, February 2nd. And uh, and during that process, I think he saw that I could articulate his, his notes, and he uh, trusted me with this book and said, I want to do this as well. Um, and so we started off on that book. Originally, it was designed as a story about the therapist, Fred, who now is just, as you know, a footnote, you know, a doctor on a phone, uh, well played by David Morse, who's awesome and kind of gives you the... Gives you the reassurance through that voice of you know that you know from you know whatever a hundred films that that like this is the answer, uh, but uh, but no I discovered I discovered in writing that 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 was not what the story was about and you kind of have that instinct that's screaming in the back of your mind despite whoever he has you know aligned to play this great part this is probably really more a story about these guys getting off the airplane than it is about you know a doctor out in Napa. And, uh, and so, you know, I kind of had to go down the wrong road to figure out which the right one was. And, and, uh, and he was gracious in allowing me to do that and, uh, and help me steer this towards, uh, you know, the whole time I was, I was writing it for him, uh, which you often are. And, and then he either chooses to do it or not, or, and I kind of had an inclination that it was maybe, uh, a, a smaller movie than he was intending to do next and, uh, and so I started prepping myself for to be able to, you know, pitch myself and, and direct the film. Yeah,
1: cool. so, kind of building off the story process there, it really seems like the big kind of exciting event that moves the every, everything in the story forward is uh, Waller's decision to bank. bank. Um, how how did that kind of inform how you built the rest of the story? That that kind of big moment there.
0: Yeah, there's a couple moments in the, that that turn the plot in the film, and and uh, you know, I think the I think for me the bigger one in the architecture that's a that's a that's a plot point that helps turn the character uh, arc, mm-hmm. but but the the bigger pivot is probably for me was Amanda and and they really the inciting incident
1: mm-hmm.
0: you could say the inciting incident is the first scene where he drops him, but but the sort of inciting incident at, back home is uh, Amanda saying tell me how my husband died, so you're asking a question to the audience. That uh, that then is answered towards the end, so that gives you the the sort of plot structure. Uh, but certainly, yeah, Will's uh, Will's decision that he makes is a is a turn for the character. Um, you know, and and as a storyteller, if you learn you learn the three act structure when you go to you know when you read making movies or you read uh, you know all these go to the script classes and and um, script doctor work and and uh but but nobody was teaching how to take a character arc. Nobody taught me how to take a character arc. It wasn't something I learned from from uh any of those classes. And so I had to start studying that and I found it was really hard to find anyone who understood what a character arc was. And like, you know, they would start referring to three acts. Mm-hmm. Like, but that's not a character arc, that's a story arc. And so, you know, the character arc typically like the films that i love in the 70s they go from resistance to release there's a character who resists doing something at the beginning and fights it fights it fights it and then somewhere around the midpoint there's a release that release leads to a moment of grace and then more problems because the the release and that and that brings on new a new set of problems so that was one of those things that gets him to the the midpoint of his release, where he you know kind of admits what's going on, um, and it and it and it uh, you know it pushes him further into like yes I need some help. But um, so there's a bunch of those along the way that uh, that help, and uh, you know they sort of follow the Joseph Campbell you know theory of of a, of a character arc and how that all goes. And and really the Odyssean model of like I, once I do a script I try and relate it to a classic and then see if there's um, allegorical signposts that I can that I can kind of put in there because I think that uh, we we recognize these stories and the character structure is in our DNA you know for as far back as like the caves like all these pictures and stories they tell in the caves that stuff is in our DNA so if you can tap into into the pace of that, and into what we expect, you know, allegorically from, from our heroes, then, then you start to have something that, that resonates in a, in a deeper way. So the three characters- I went crazy down that oh, road, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's
1: good. So, uh, so Jason, the, the three characters, so Adam, Solo, and Will. Yeah. Uh, Adam is uh, a person that you talk to, Solo is a person you talk to, Will is, you talk to the Widow, Yeah. Uh, And and that sort of thing. So in in talking to Adam or in maybe Miles talking to Adam, uh, one of Adam's biggest problems is he can't talk about what happened. He doesn't talk about it with Saskia and he doesn't talk about it with his friends. Um, Is that because he was a leader in Iraq? So he has to uh, show a, a certain
0: strength that he's almost like Teflon. Is that part of it? Or maybe not? I think for these guys, and and it's not, you know, the, the challenge with this story is was making a story personal enough about Adam that it was universal, but also making a story that was not just about Adam, but that applied, you know, through these three three guys and their decisions, applied to every warrior that's come home with some circumstance like this. Um, and I think that the, the sort of, the schooling of the military and, and what they teach these guys is to is to shoot at human-shaped targets so they can shoot at humans. To walk into the bullets when, when your first primary instinct is to walk away. They teach them how to be fearless and how to how to um, do things that, that normal humans just don't have the capacity to do. In doing that, they're creating this, this toughness and this shell that allows them to do it and 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 everything that comes after about finding finding your way back to yourself is untaught and it's about how do you remove that shell how do you remove the the shield that the warrior has been given to, to you know go into battle and taking away that shield is very hard so for someone like Adam it was um, it was it blew me away that as heroic as everything he had done in battle was, he came back and was able to reveal himself to David Finkel, the author, and allow him into his life and allow him to watch what he was going through. Even in his, some of his resistance to tell stories or to hold on to certain things or not, um, his willingness to articulate and to allow this guy in and to be vulnerable with this guy was uh, was as heroic, in my mind, as anything he did in battle. Great. Thank you.
1: Now, what I find interesting about American Sniper, and especially thank you for your service, is that both films seem to put more emphasis on what happens when a soldier comes
0: home as opposed to what happens in combat. Why do you think that's so important to talk about, especially in film? I mean, I think that to know what the, to know what the consequences of war are is, uh, is tremendously important to a society. You know, especially a society who's found a way to distance themselves from the aftermath of, of, of war. And, and you know the consequence on its warriors, and uh, you know in in my mind and what I've seen, these guys are honorable young men and women who who are making a decision to uh, to to serve their country, and and it's beholden upon us, not just the government but the citizens, to make sure yeah. that we're we're making the right decisions, electing people who make decisions that put us into conflicts that are as equally as honorable as the as the men we're sending over there. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, you know, there haven't been a tremendous amount of stories about soldiers coming home that have been told. For all the war films that we make, we haven't made a ton of, of, of films about guys coming home. And yeah. I think that's, uh, you know, cinema holds, holds a big responsibility yeah. in that it's, it's able to shift people's perception and it's able to, to tell stories in a way that a, just a storyteller with a voice and, and an audience cannot do. Yeah. Um, so it's also beholden upon us to, uh, to tell the right story and to tell the, tell the true story and, and not just to tell half, the half of the story that sells, sells a lot of tickets. Yeah, definitely. So in, uh, in American Sniper, and thank you for your service. Mm-hmm. You face uh, PTSD and uh, what, what military men have to, and, and women have to face when, yeah. they, when they come home. Um, do you kind of see, thank you for your service as as a response to American Sniper or vice versa, or as a spiritual duo? yeah, I, I call it a spiritual sequel, I think. Um, but it's uh, you know, it's I think it stands as its own film in as much as uh, these guys go away. and and the 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 version of special operators who fought this war, They fought a very different war, and they came from very different places, and they were very different people than who these guys are. And early on, it was challenging for me. I thought, "Oh, that's great! I'll just step right in, and I'll you know I already know this about the war, and I'll just step right in and tell this story." That wasn't the case, you know. These guys um, these guys are very different people that and they had a very very different experience. And and because of the selective process of special forces. There's a, uh, there's a different way that those guys deal with the, the traumatic effects of war. And they've, you know, in the selection process for the Navy SEALs, they weed out everybody. And it's not a physical, physical weeding out. It's a, it's a psychological one. Because the guys, it's not the Olympic athletes who go to Bud's and, and make it and go to Hell Week and make it. It's the guys who are farmers. Who have a tough mind? Who got up at five o'clock in the morning? Who know hard labor? Who just power, power, power throw. It's the it's the farmers. It's the wrestlers. It's the like the blue collar kids who are just you know they just they just got to have a toughness about them. That toughness translates mentally tough mental toughness translates to battle, and they are less susceptible to some of the some of the things that, that others suffer because of because of that mental toughness. They're possibly able to compartmentalize pain. They're able to compartmentalize suffering and, and all that. And so it's a real, it's a psychological weeding out of those who aren't able to process uh, mental anguish in a way. And, uh, and that's the selection process. These guys, on the other hand, when you start talking to them, they had very little training. There was very little time to prepare them. There wasn't, uh, there wasn't that kind of weeding out selection process. It was more of a like, any and all takers, come on uh two thousand and seven i think it was uh i want to say it was thirty nine percent were uh on came in on waivers meaning they had some psychological issues or or a problem with the law and so they had to get a waiver signed. and so you're talking about a lot of guys who like entered in with problems i you know my step my uh not my stepbrother my uh my my brother in law had had uh he you know he grew up he was my wife's little brother he grew up He had some problems with the law. He got in trouble once because he brought a taser to school and thought, you know, he went to a tough school. He brought a taser, bad decision from a like, you know, a 16 year old kid and he got dinged with a, with a felony for it. And like he had to do some stuff and they, they, but he had to get a waiver to go into the military and he actually went into the military. And when he went to Iraq, my wife breathed a sigh of relief. Mm this kid who grew up in hancock park went to iraq and she was like thank god he's so much safer over there than he is here because he's just a, he's just a kid who's like a lovable kid but he's got some friends who get in trouble a lot and you know he's been in some bad situations so he gets put into a he gets put into a situation where it's like hey kid we'll give you 18,000 extra dollars if you want to drive the fuel rig it's like 18,000, dollars great, i'll take that and he's like, "Hey, I got a little bump for driving the fuel rig." And it's like, "Dude, the reason you got a bump is cuz you're <laughs> driving gasoline around in on streets that are that are paved with explosives." Mm-hmm. And if you get ticked, you're gone." He's like, "Well, 18,000 bucks." You know what I mean? And so you're dealing with kids who come in and like they're kids, man. They're kids and they don't have they don't have the experience. They don't have the training. They don't have the weeding out process. They're just trying to look for an opportunity that a lot of them didn't have. And, uh, he comes from a nice family. He comes from a well off family. A lot of these guys, for them, it's the, it's their best opportunity. Becoming a warrior is their best opportunity. Adam Schumann fell in love with a girl. He wanted a, a house and a, and a picket fence and, and he didn't want to go fracking. in North Dakota and that's all there was. He could have been done the fracking work. Or he joined the military and got to serve his country, and uh, and that seemed much more honorable to him. And uh, you know, he wanted to maybe go to school someday. So it's a it's a different different story than uh, than uh, special forces and, and telling the story of our elite warriors. This is really the working warrior class. It's the it's the blue collar soldier that uh, that we send off to war. And and I wanted to make a film that was. Uh, with social realism, about the blue-collar struggles of these warriors when they come home from war. I was curious about what kind of uh, research or prep you did going into this film. And I think Jeff touched on it a little bit. You were able to, to speak to some of the real-life counterparts of the, of the characters in the film, like uh, Adams. Yeah, or, like, yeah. Um, what kind of things did you learn from them and how that influenced the film? Um, you know, David Finkel did such amazing journalistic work in following these guys. He he went and lived with them, with Adam, with Solo, with Amanda, uh, and, and several others in the book for, for 10 months. And so he gave us a Bible and it was up to us. We had, you know, we had the, everything that had happened to them and the way in which they'd reacted to those circumstances and the way that they felt was articulated in the book. And then it was up to us to kind of get our, our hands on them and sort of soak up all the psychic energy that we could, how they talk, what the tone of their voice was, um, what the quality and, and, and what, what it looked like, what it, what it felt like. So uh, when I heard that I was auditioning for the just to get the job to direct, I, I immediately I was supposed to go I was in DC and I was supposed to go to Manhattan for the weekend with my wife and, uh, and so instead we went to uh, Manhattan, uh, Kansas. There's an airport in right. Kansas. Yeah. yeah, I said good news and bad news, babe.
1: News is still going to
0: Manhattan. Bad news is it's in Kansas. So I went immediately there and started driving around and uh, went to his house that he had, uh, you know, he had since moved and uh, moved to North Dakota, back to North Dakota. Uh, went to his house. Went to the base. Went to went to the shady parts of town where, where the, you know, some of the characters had, had wound up in trouble. And I went and, and I just tried to dig into that uh, with my with my hands. And um, I had at that point known Adam for two years because I've been writing the script for, for a good two years. And so I had a first person relationship, you know, been on the phone with him all the time, texting with him, with Emery, uh, with Amanda, with Solo. And so I had involved myself with them. And then uh, as soon as I brought Miles on, we immediately went out to visit Adam and you know, sat in a snowy field with him while he was he was duck hunting and, uh, you know, just sort of soaked up all we could from this guy. And then once we started filming, you know, Adam and Adam and Miles had a relationship at that point because it was a couple months. And then we had Adam down to train them, you know. So we went through a boot camp that these Navy SEALs ran and Adam was the sort of administrator and and like, no, we don't do it like the Navy SEALs. Here's how we do it. You know, and he gave us the the Army side of that. And then we, we asked him to stay as long as he could. He went back a couple, you know, for a couple of stretches to visit family, but he was with us throughout the whole filming. Um, So it was, you know, having him on set and being able to just put hands on him and, and you know, not that he's going to be like, well, you didn't do that right. Or you didn't, if he saw something wrong, I was like, absolutely, dude, tell us if you see something wrong, see it, say it, you know, that's what we're doing here. And, and he would, he got, he caught some stuff on a uniform and. And he'd say, you know, like, oh, this stuff in my living room, that was kind of because I had pictures, I had documentation, I had like, I had police reports, I had after action reports, I had, I had a massive amount of information that I asked the people that were working for us to to match, I wanted it to be as close to humanly possible. But um, no, we had Solo down, Uh, Emery's in the movie, we had Amanda Doster and she brought her daughters down. Like we tried to involve everybody in the movie and saturate the entire movie with the experience of these real life characters, so their history and their touch and their their energy is uh, is enmeshed in the in the fabric of this thing. You were just talking about
1: how um, war movies show the war so much more, and some mm-hmm. of my favorite scenes in this you put a tactile experience to what a traumatic episode is like. Um, what's been the reaction from, from Schumann, from the vet you've shown yeah. us to, to the authenticity of that?
0: Um, it's been terrific. You know, I mean, the first time I showed Adam, I showed him in New York, we didn't have the score yet or anything. And it was, uh, we got him some popcorn and a Coke and he said, you know, he didn't touch the popcorn or the Coke the whole time. And he, and he, he basically cried for an hour, 45 minutes. And he laughed and he had these experiences of beauty and and like, you know, experiencing this love that he had with his wife and and all this stuff. Um, And, uh, you know, I just like afterwards gave the guy a hug and held him for 15 minutes and he sobbed and he was like, it's beautiful. I can't I can't believe you guys did this. And um, that was kind of the experience. We had everybody come in and watch it at once. And it it was wild, man.
1: You I got know. to see it with
0: some veterans, and yeah. a very
1: visceral reaction. Some of the yeah. things. it was very, yeah. very hard. Uh, no,
0: the 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 most common uh, response I've got from veterans is somebody finally told our story. You know, and I said, "Well, what about American Sniper?" And they're like, "Yeah, that's a Chris Kyle story. That's like, you know, that's one in a million. Mm-hmm. This is our story. This is this is uh, this is." You know, what we experience. And it's not an easy one to share. Sometimes this is not one that they, they are, you know, they want people to know and they identify super personally with it, but it's also that part that's still like, are we ready to share this? You know, it's that part that any warrior goes home, it's like, am I ready to share this part? You know? And, um, and the, the part that we've gotten from, from their families is, uh, that's the beautiful thing. And it's, it's the, you know i i had no idea this is what he's he's going through or this is what he doesn't talk about or that's this is what he means when he talks about so and so and uh and the you know we've had beautiful experiences where like someone will come with their wife and it's a guy who's been home for 4 years you know who's a guy who was even like helping us with some publicity stuff and he's like oh I'll bring my wife and he brought her and this a squared away dude who's like talks great you know makes makes $65,000, $75,000 a year. He's like, he's good. He's been home for four or five years. And uh, he brings his wife and they walk out of the theater and she's like, hey, so do you have any stories like that? And he's like, yeah. And it's like, they have stories. You know what I mean? And they just, they they are or they aren't going to share them. But at that point, he decided to share with his wife because she had seen this movie and she kind of had a new understanding of his experience and he shared the story with his wife and it's like, changed their marriage, you know? And, um, we just get a lot of people coming up to us and they say, thank you for telling this story. I, my, my, you know, my brother, my uncle, my, my grandpa served. It's like, my question is always, does he talk about it? Right. And, uh, you know, my response to that is like, tell him you saw the movie and, and, uh, Tell him you have a new understanding of maybe what he went through and, and just open the door a little bit and see if, uh, leave it open. And, and and sooner or later, you know, a lot of these guys will walk through that door if, if it's open and they feel you understand them. So I have one question yeah. in five parts.
1: So what really came out with this movie is that the real world that these men come back to is not the real world that they knew. Yep. It's, it's, it's something different. Yeah. And what was great about the film is you focused on the families and the wives or the significant others. others. Yeah. So with Saskia, I thought she did a great job because she was asking questions yeah. and wanting to know what's wrong. Wh- talk to me. Yeah. And we talked about this a little bit last night. Is one of the problems when the soldiers come home is that their spouses, men or women, they, they assume that the soldier's uh, world is exactly the same. In other words, you're back, everything's yeah. the
0: same. Yeah. And is that, is, is that a frequent problem or something? that Yeah, no, of? I think they're expecting the same person that they sent off to return to them. Mm-hmm. The same person, and they expect the, that person to step into the same role that they had when they left. What they're not expecting is that the person they sent off comes back changed and different. And And... And parts of them are unknown now. And those, um, and, and the trick there to, to telling that story was to structure it so that the audience was also in that unknown part. You know, you want them to be with Adam and with the guys, but also to step back and say, oh, wow, who are they talking about? What are these names that they're bandying around? And I don't know what happened to that guy. Like, this is unclear. And it's intentionally unclear because that's what the family experiences. The family experiences the mystery of like, I'm trying to unwrap all of the the newness of this person and get to the bottom of this story. He's had relationships and experiences, extraordinary experiences that I don't understand or even know about. And it's almost as if they've lived this other life, you know, on the other side of this door that you don't get to know about or ask. And so it was up to us, you know, I wanted to find a way to structure the film so that the audience felt that too. And is like, well, God, I want to know what, what are they talking about? Who's Emery and who's Doster? And like trying to pull it out of them in the way that the family does. So you want to, you want to put the audience in that seat so they experience it like the family does. And, um, you know, that is absolutely the case. They, uh, you know, these guys come back in the door and it's up to the family to kind of. Dance around and figure it out, and un- unwrap this uh, this new man who's who's walked through their door that uh, that looks a lot like the same man they they, they sent off, but is uh, but is oftentimes quite a bit different. How would you say working with Clint Eastwood on American Sniper prepared you for this one? Did you learn anything from him from a directorial point of view? I think you know. I think you learn a lot from anybody who you watch who's a who's a master like that, and. Um, certainly there's a there's a ease and fluidity to which Clint works that's uh that's intoxicated I don't have that that same persona as Clint and so I'm a little bit more um I want to get every single fucking thing right (laughs) you know and uh and so I'm very anal and uh I don't god bless him I'm not that kind of filmmaker like I, I wanted, I wanted to find architecture in the houses that was similar to the architecture in the houses that they lived in. I wanted to find. I made sure that we had two hundred actual veterans sitting in the VA uh, mm-hmm. because I know that veterans recognize veterans. I wanted to. Uh, I I got after action reports. I didn't allow uh, the certain colors in Iraq because I knew those colors weren't indigenous to the rest of my Iraq and. Uh, and, you know, I, I imported two tons of trash into into mm-hmm. Morocco uh, because because I hadn't seen of an Iraq war film that had enough trash in it. Um, you know, uh, Hurt Locker was maybe an exception because they were able to film it in Jordan and they had... That's the Middle East, so they had the right color of trash, but it's also about the colors of trash. And also, I'm interested in being a filmmaker who, who puts messages into this. So I planted things... Trauma is, uh, trauma is sort of a, the repetition of a story, you know? And what these guys come home with is they come home with these incidents where they sort of unwind them and retell them and unwind them to the point of like, where was the first part of it that I, that I made the mistake? Was it when I got out of bed and like, I didn't get dressed fast enough to make it into that first Humvee, and so I was put in the second one, you know? Or, or was it backwards? And so they play it backwards and forwards and it's a bit of a mystery So I planted a bunch of objects in the first uh, half of the film, in the first, you know, the greater portion of the film that actually end up in Iraq and, and, and you'll never know what those are, Mm -hmm. but, but they're certainly in there. And the reason I did that is because I want the, your brain to start adding up the information of, of all of these things that you've previously known. And then it starts adding up the information as if you're going to solve this mystery You know, Amanda Doster still wonders to this day, like she knows what happened. She's read the report. She's talked to everybody involved, but she still just wonders, is there something else that she doesn't know? One little piece of information of what was he thinking or feeling right at the last second before he died. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: if she could just get that piece of information, that's what trauma tells us. Like, I have to figure it out. I have to figure it out. And it's this process of like trying to just... To, to get to the top of the heap of all of this information and all of these memories to get to that point where you just, you solve it, you know, was it my fault? Could I have done something more? Yeah. And so, you know, I tried to fill the audience with that sense of information piling up in the, in the last part of this film. And um, yeah, so I guess I learned a lot from Clinton, nothing at all.
1: You know <laughs> you guys,
0: you so much for maybe it just no, takes a hundred films to to get that ease and calm <laughs> <working> on it. <laughs>